0: Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast and joining me today is Jonathan Kirkwood a professional physician, hospitalist, doctor, uh, whatever you want to call it, all of the above apply turned Bitcoin fund manager. So he's left his fiat job behind him and started 1031 with his cousin now has the likes of Parker Lewis Marty Bent and Matt O'Dell, to name just three huge names in the space, helping them on the front. So I hope you enjoy this one with Jonathan. Thank you for coming on and sharing everything that you shared. Now, before we do get into it, make sure you are aware of whether or not you can get across to the Bitcoin conference. If you can get there, if medical requirements, I mean, there's a non-zero chance all of this could be dropped. So keep a very, very close eye on travel regulations. But they're updating speakers all the time. I've just checked now. They've got Jordan Peterson, who's going across there. Cynthia Lomas, J.P. Spears, the comedian. And then you're going to have Nayib Bukele, Sailor. It's going to be huge. I'm fingers fully crossed that we can get there. And I hope to see as many clips there as possible. Day one will be Industry Day. That's where you can meet and greet all of the people in the space that are building. You can network yourself, find some investors, or find some employees. And then day two and three are gonna be all the speeches from the people that I just mentioned. Day four is gonna be rounded out by Sound and Money Fest, headlined by rapper and fellow Bitcoiner Logic. Then you've got Steve Ayuki, CL, Run the Jewels, San Holo, Dead Mouse and many more. Use the link in the show notes and you will get 10% off or use the code Bitten at checkout for 10% off all your ticket purchases. And please make sure you're stacking. You know where to do that now. If you're in the US, long time sponsor of the show, Swamp Bitcoin. Thank you so much, guys. SwampBitcoin.com forward slash bitten. Go start stacking with those guys. That will unlock a free $10 for you. Similar app in the UK and across Europe, Relay, R-E-L-A-I dot Go and check them out. If you want to stack with an exchange, you can use Coincorner.com and they are based in the Isle of Man. They will serve the UK and Euro plebs no problem. Bring it on. As well as Bitcoin Reserve, you can stack daily with them with card purchases up to £1,000 on their Flash service or Euros. Or you can use their white glove service concierge, 50 grand or more. Go check them out. That's Bitcoin Reserve. All the links are in the show notes to these companies. And finally, you know what I always tell you get yourself a damn hardware wallet. It's so important. There's no reason to not do that. Bitbox 02 by Shift Crypto. That will save you 5%. ShiftCrypto.ch forward slash Bitten. It's so important that you do take control of these keys of these coins with that said with all the shills finished thank you everybody for listening and you know if you're using the streaming services such as fountain app or breeze I really appreciate it uh these are just going to get better and better as time goes by and it's a great way to interact so thank you for listening enjoy the show with jonathan all right lauren we are recording with jonathan yeah you're standing on hot coals here to ask him a question yeah. so uh, <laughs> far away Me too uh so <laughs>
1: i heard that uh you are kind of like a doctor like you are like daddy said that you're a doctor um so my my first question is why did you become a doctor like why did you want to help people with uh that thing? <laughs>
2: Okay, well, great to great to meet Lauren. Um, I think I'm probably gonna feels like I'm getting off easy with with this question, but uh, uh, initially uh, went into medicine because I I thought it was um, interesting. I am the the fourth generation physician in the family so uh, several several doctors before me and i thought what they were doing was um, a positive and you know it it provided a good lifestyle um, that they were able to to have with families so kind of dual angle there and um, when I thought about kind of doing other, you know, potential, um, routes, whether in, in finance or, um, something else, I, I saw, uh, an increased risk where the, um, the risk with going into medicine was, was low. Okay. And,
1: uh, my next question, uh, is it hard being a doctor?
2: Is it hard? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it can be really hard and it can be really rewarding. So there's a dual polarity there. Uh, I practiced as a hospitalist. So that's a physician that takes care of people in the hospital. So if you ever get sick and you have to go to a hospital, I'd be the one of the doctors that brings you into the hospital and then takes care of you. And most of the time, People go to the hospital because they're either really ill or they find something out that is very detrimental. So sometimes people will have a symptom and then they'll go to the hospital and they'll find out that they have cancer. And having to, to talk people through having the, their new diagnosis that this is a, you know, it could be. Well, it is a, a significant life-changing event, and helping them work through that's a that's a very difficult um, piece, and, and kind of you know that can kind of wear on wear on individuals as they have to deliver that news um, on a on a routine basis. And then there's also really positive times when someone is very ill, but we're able to intervene. And and deliver really acute care that allows someone to get better, um, and be able to spend more time with their friends and family. So, you know, there there's two kind of roads there that, that kind of way, that you know kind of equal out the the total experience of being a physician.
1: Right. Okay. And um, wait. So you know Bitcoin, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay so uh what why do you like bitcoin
2: they they all all three uh think think i do way too much into bitcoin
0: we kind of lost you a little bit there i think did you hear did you hear lauren's question
2: yeah i i said that i have um three children myself and they all three think i'm i'm I spend way too much time on Bitcoin. Enough
1: for, for for us because we we basically think the same thing.
0: Right. Yeah, but there's four uh, of you ganging up on me.
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, so so your your like your your definitive question: Why do you like Bitcoin? Is yeah. that yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I like Bitcoin because it empowers the the individual. And I think providing the individual tools or like when I was a physician, providing the individual information so that they can live a better, more fulfilled life is important. And, you know, if I'm going to, you know, dedicate my time and my time and and my energy, then I want to, you know, Put that effort into a worthy cause and so i think there for me personally there's nothing more worthy outside of my family than trying to to help in any way possible that i can with bitcoin
1: hmm. okay and i'm gonna leave the rest to you daddy okay because- I have no more questions. All right. So, and plus, if I said all the questions, then you have no more questions. So... I, I, I have
0: a feeling Jonathan had been primed, like by Matt and Marty, that maybe, and perhaps even Parker, that he was going to be facing down a lot tougher questions tonight.
1: Well, How <sighs> <laughs> don't have tough questions. I have all the type of questions for other people, but not him.
0: Well, one day we'll meet Jonathan. So save it up for that day. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. All
1: right. Yep. yep. Uh, so great you to too.
2: meet Lauren. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
0: So you said, um, one thing I just picked up on. Yes. Yeah. It's okay. I'll go without the earphones. Thank you for checking. You know, the you, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Still a physician, or was a physician? Have uh, retired? It's still practice? What's what's the what's the current status?
2: Well, I think I'm I'm gonna always be a physician. In that you know I've passed the the exam. I practiced for a decade, um, and kind of beneficial uh, being a physician during a pandemic, especially for. Uh, i will say a, a cohort of individuals that are completely skeptic, skeptic of uh, any establishment. So being able to provide guidance or avi- advice uh, to help navigate um, is, is something that I'm probably going to be, I'll continue to do, but more on a kind of personal individual basis. I am uh, no longer practicing in the hospital. um that uh, ceased last year when uh, kind of my partner and I thought that you know what we were doing at the time was really catching on we felt that you know this was something that we re- we both really wanted to do and so we we left our our fiat jobs and really uh, pushed forward with um the fun piece but um as far as back to practicing, I, I guess you kind of I can I can do that. I'm I, I'm a physician for life. So I guess I, I get the opportunity to to do both.
0: All right, cool. So we oh which rabbit hole to go down? Do we start with the uh, the medical rabbit hole or the Bitcoin rabbit hole? Uh, and this all ties into you know 1031 ultimately uh, and the mm-hmm. work that you're gonna be doing, well you are doing and uh, you know the vision that you have um all right fourth generation physicians so generations one two and three where did they come from what what was the uh, what's the backstory there
2: the um you know they small town docks that practiced in uh illinois and indiana um kind of in the midwest that you know took care of uh communities. Which is, you know, one thing that I think is, you know, very special that I've, I found during my time is that even though we didn't practice necessarily in the same specific area, the, the general geographical area is is the same. And I took care I was able to take care of patients that my great grandfather had taken care of or delivered. So like he, he delivered somebody a hundred or, you know, 90 years ago. And then I was taking care of them, you know, at the, at the end stage of their life. So I think that was something that was pretty, pretty unique um, and special with um, that kind of lineage Um, or just being able to, to meet people that they had taken care of in prior generations and that. I was young when they, when my when my grandfather passed, and so I didn't necessarily know him to the extent that you know would have been you know optimal. But being able to see the positive impacts that he had during his life, you know, it's just being able to see the ripple—like you, you 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 drop the stone in, but yet you're still being able to see the ripple at the end of the pond—is um, i thought was pretty interesting
0: that's wild and kirkwood is i mean there's british heritage in there somewhere or what's the
2: i think that's scott the when i've looked it up it's it's scottish mm-hmm. uh is the where, where the surname comes from and yeah that originally
0: that <laughs> There's some brave people there that come across to the, to the States a couple of hundred years ago.
2: Yeah. I actually don't know where the, the first one came in. I just know, I've seen some paper clippings of when the, the first uh, Dr. Kirkwood went into to Southern Illinois, but I don't know. I, I don't know the, the history as well as probably I should
0: so what what's the what's the process then trying to you know for, for somebody that's never been down the rabbit hole of going to med- medical school and all of this kind of um, or, or we get as plebs as as noobs or whatever normies we get exposed to like the tv shows right uh you know mm-hmm. it's uh, it's hard work and you do the internships or what, what do you call them the um
2: residencies residencies
0: right it how does that compare to what you actually went through i mean are we just sold some dream on television or like is there some kind of truth to this like
2: you know there there's a lot of dramatization um but you know there there is some some truth to it 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 reminds me of this what what happened in when i was in medical school rotating at. Cook County, and I guess I guess there was this um, like power marathon of all the ER episodes of like multiple seasons that w- that was happening at that time, and we were just at the I mean I was in the ER we were just pounding through patients and this uh, I go in to um, review. Uh, this this next patient and he's like like why are you here he's like well I was the guy was high as could be and he's like I was watching this you know ER marathon and I was like why am I watching it on TV when I can watch it in real life and so (laughs) (laughs) honest to God the why why he was there and so um, the attending at the time just got him a chair and put him there in the ER, like, and just he sat there for a while and then then was gone at some point. Um, so I guess maybe it wasn't as entertaining as what the uh, what the TV <laughs> show makes it out to
0: be. You hoping for George Clooney to come for a reason through? I mean, like, this is crazy. Yeah, I don't,
2: I I don't know, but there's, I mean. As far as kind of the oddities, I mean, I think this is there. There's just so many variabilities in um, each human, and each. So your the the possibilities of, of something coming through the hospital or coming through medicine, like it just doesn't shock you what what humans will will do to themselves or or can happen as far as uh, an, an accident goes or. You know, can cause uh, an issue with, with why you would need to go to the hospital. So that is probably very true. Like those um, situations are, are really being derived from some type of experience that, that did happen in the hospital.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that, as a scriptwriter for that stuff, you you have carte blanche, right? I mean, anything could happen, right? It's, um, I'm sure yeah, but you've nothing. Seen
2: that... a, it, you know, nothing. Um, is uh stranger than fiction
0: mm-hmm. so. so what was your job then what was your exact like specific role and i'm sure it you know progressed since like your, your first couple of years on the job to like your, your last couple of years on the job but just for the listeners and those of us that have never been in this position uh you know what what would the day-to-day look like
2: oh as a as a hospitalist and this is what i did for the last um decade or when a patient would either come through the ER, would a patient would be in the outpatient setting. So in a, a, another, a doctor's office or another hospital, um, I would get a call that said, Hey, I got someone sick. I would need to to find out kind of the more the history, the story, and then we'd be like, okay, that person's sick enough. They need to come into the hospital or, you know, that person's really not at the, the stage that. Needs to come in the hospital. I would recommend doing A, B, or C. You know, follow up. You know, X uh, time or um, you know, this person needs really to have you know this procedure. So why don't you send them to um, this place? And then if someone needed to come into the hospital, then I would go see the patient, evaluate them, bring them in, and then take care of them while they're in while they're in the hospital, and then just dish- if I was still on during the time when the patient was in the hospital, then either discharge them or hand them off to one of my partners to take over.
0: What was the, you know, again, really basic question. I think you've you already answered the question, like, you know, the most bizarre thing you've seen with the guy coming in thinking he was part of uh, like a, a film set. What was the worst thing you've seen in, in the 10 years of doing that?
2: Oh, I, I mean, the worst is when you got to deliver bad news. I just, you know, too many times um, that, you know, so you'll, the, the adage, you know, I was never sick until I w- ever went to the hospital. Like that's a, a common adage that, that people use. And there are a lot of times when, you know, someone will have retired and they'll just be retired after three months. And then, they'll come in and, you know, we'll find that they have metastatic cancer and, you know, there's, there's really not going to be anything to be able to do other than, you know, going to hospice care and potentially expire in the next three, you know, three to six months, or when, you know, you have a a young person um, and there's the phrase young enough to die. So, Typically, when when you when you delineate young and old, like the people who have made it to old age, like they're going to survive. But the young people, they're just young enough to die. And having to deliver, you know, tough news to a parent that, you know, their their child is is not going to make it or is going to be impaired for the rest of their life. I mean, those are those are tough tough situations that you. Um, you unfortunately have to do but that's just part of part of life part of the 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 process the wheel that we're all on
0: yeah i can't imagine that it's um yeah not not much more to be said there especially for those people that you know recently retired right i mean it's such a common story it seems and now being in the bitcoin space having had our heads turned upside down as to what's actually going on in the fiat space with how our Mm -hmm. time is stolen from us every single second of every single day. And the guy that walks in that's 70 and he's just kind of released the chains and you got to deliver that news. I mean, how long, how long has Bitcoin been in your life then? How, how many years did that, overlap with with what you were doing because that must have started changing your whole mindset as to like um the, the, the kind of things you were seeing and like needless things as well
2: uh, i mean there's i think a lot of times like you'll have to have some big shock moment to to wake you up from the slumber that you're in and I mean, I, like everybody else, I had touch points throughout time, throughout the last decade of, you know, where I would venture sort of into Bitcoin, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't buy anything or I think I tried to run Bitcoin core a long time ago and my computer started like buzzing. So I was like, Oh, left that. And then, when when I got out of residency, you know, I had a DEA license. And so that's the the license that you need to be able to prescribe narcotics. And I looked at Bitcoin because of Silk Road. And when the Ross Ulbricht story broke, I, I followed it. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna jeopardize my my DEA license. So I can't, I don't I didn't want to venture in it in it there. So Really it was't um, until the last probably four years that I really started going down the rabbit hole into into Bitcoin and then really 2019 um, was when I, I I would say full on only only Bitcoin is where that probably was the year that it started for the to really understand and, and see you know, that Bitcoin was this great aligner of incentives. And once you turn on those orange lenses, like you see the the other problems then and, and why like the situations you were in before didn't always line up or settle right. You knew something wasn't right, but you didn't know exactly, you know, what that common thread was.
0: Did you feel that... I mean, personally, like uh, within the family, or was it more like the the people that you see in every single day? Like, you know, that there's there's something, you know, uh, uh, you know, ailments aside or whatever else, but it's like th- th- there's just something not connecting. Like, why are people not happy? Why are people not as healthy as they should be? Why am I not happy? Why are we still struggling to to meet you know monthly bills or whatever?
2: I want to the the original thing that I saw that you know I just ha- was having such a tough time working through was being a physician and operating or operating within a hospital system, and so you can be. I, I went from being uh, a pro uh, a private hospitalist to being an employed hospitalist when we, when we made a move and there's a big change there as far as how, um, how you were, you were treated the relationship and it went from, you know, being, having this autonomy to make decisions and make, you know, as best decisions as you can to, when, when you went to this employed model to having someone that was, you know, looking over your shoulder or, you know, doing something for the, the hospital instead. And so not where you weren't making the necessarily the best decisions for the patient you were making, you know, okay. You're making, trying to make good decisions for the patient, but knowing that the the hospital system was the reason you had employment and so if a patient you know if you if you knew the patient was just a, a substance abuser and they were coming in trying to get narcotics you could you know say you know i'm not i'm not giving you narcotics um if you were in private practice but with being employed then they go on their which called their age caps uh, you know, potential having a negative review, and then that can hurt the brand of the hospital. Or, you know, you need to you do do X, Y, and Z. So, you know, there was a a malalignment in incentives, and I didn't I didn't quite understand why or how that, you know, that kind of built out. And so, I got my uh, my my MBA. And I think it was during my. The time when I was getting my MBA that, you know, putting together costs of capital and, you know, the reasoning why hospitals were, were able to buy up the productive resources that that actually produced value, which were physicians and physicians practices, is that, you know, they had the ability to, to access, you know, the lowest cost of capital, whereas was a you know an individual or a multi-specialty group w- just weren't able to to access that that same low cost of capital as a municipality or a large healthcare system and i mean that was kind of the first started realization like like there's something wrong here that that prevents you know an individual from from making the best decision because they're is this existential threat of blowback.
0: So you trapped right in the Cantillon effect, right there? Uh...
2: Yeah, no, it was terrible. Um, but it's it's true. And and I think that's, I mean, one of the reasons why, like, there's such a burnout on physicians or, you know, there, there are so many um, pieces of them are being pulled and they're having to run faster and faster to to maintain that that same output same generate gener, uh, same output whether in a monetary or a productive capacity because you have the you have inflation but then you would have you know whether Congress you know would change the the reimbursement rates or Medicare Medicaid would change the reimbursement rates and lower the floors on, on a, on a procedure or code, like there was just no getting out of of that that system.
0: And that's, I, I think. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're touching on like the the other side of the of what I see is like the incentives driven by like the, the the whole insurance industry. So on one side, you've got this access to. Uh, low cost capital, as you would say, like, you know, you're, you're sitting very close to the, the Cantheon effect, so you can get that cheap money and then you can buy out private uh, hospitals or practices or whatever else and bring them into you to, um, you know, make you bigger and more monopolized. But then you've got the incentives coming in from the insurance companies that are, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, are incentivized to um, prescribe certain things or um Uh, certain procedures over others because they get more of a payout or less of a payout. I'm kind of sketchy on what's going on.
2: Yeah. With, so with um, insurance and there's a lot of partnerships that are now occurring to decrease the, the, well, they say the waste, but decrease the expenditure on each patient. So like we had um, a negotiation where we got X number of do- well, the, the insurance company and then the group partnered with the insurance company that said you're going to get X number of dollars for each patient each year and then there was a, a revenue or a, a split on cost savings where if you maintain costs below X then you would get like a 50-50 split on, on that savings. So but there's a, t- I mean, there's a ton of waste in the within the delivery of care. Um, so I, I mean, I do think like I was on multiple committees that you know looked at you know ways to just decrease the overutilization of resources. But I don't think that. That's necessarily the best approach, or now, when, when I look at the situation, because I think, there should be better, better ways for the delivery, the delivery of care to to, to individual patients. And I'm excited to see, somehow Bitcoin, you know, be infused in the delivery of care where, you know, you can deliver, you know, a service, you know, you know, get that denominated in Bitcoin or in some way so that, you know, that that time that you expended is stored or where patients are able to access um, resources that aren't priced at a monopolistic, uh, rate. I, I, I mean, we, we talk about like MRIs and with an MRI and MRI machine there, I mean, they're, they're expensive, um, expensive to run, but they're always on. And so if you go to any, any city, you know that that means that that mri machine is turned on 24 hours a day like i don't know why someone isn't going after that that down the the, the other 12 hours of the day and just allowing people to you know to come in pay $200 for an mri and then another you know, $200 to have it um, read. So $400 to have an MRI because that's it. Otherwise it's a sunk cost because it's already turned on. Now there's some some variable cost where you have to em- employ somebody to, to run the machine while the person's in it. But I mean, that's a, that's a very small variable cost for the fixed compared to the fixed cost of already having the machine. So I think like there's there's a lot of opportunities there where services will become more available. And some of that is happening in kind of larger, larger cities, larger institutions where where people may have a private machine that they have available. But I, I just don't know why you're not offering that service to right now. To, to people to be able to, to pay and just have, to have a screening MRI for or $400 where they can have a whole body screening MRI. It, it just makes too much sense to me, given the fact that you already have the infrastructure in place.
0: Exactly. That's just a complete, I mean, what you've just explained is nonsense. If it's there and if it's on, and if people are willing to come in and pay, uh, think, of the, think of what you could catch you know, early you know, and then treat those people in that hospital. Yeah, no, that it's,
2: it's very true. There's, you know, there's a kind of a, a dichotomy of ideas where, you know, you don't, you don't look for something unless, you know, you're wanting to find something. But I think that some of that is, kind of an age old you know ideology that we just didn't have the resources that we have today and we look at those things as you know high cost when in fact they shouldn't be high cost and i mean i, I mean my my mindset has changed over time to where you know i think we should do, be doing much more advanced screening than what we currently are, because you know you, you find something, and then that is that can be significantly important to that one person. And this is where I think that this comes to there's a difference between an individual and we'll say an insurance company. So an insurance company, their their, their role is to deliver the best care for the lowest amount. That's, that's their model. And they're, and they're basing everything off of, you know, probability of managing a cohort. So, and the individual is, is, is completely their decisions. And so this is where what I, I was kind of coining as the general soldier dilemma, where, you know, if you want to win the war, so the general wants to win the war, the soldier wants to win the war but the general's willing to take on, you know, a 5% um, loss to win the war. Whereas to that individual soldier, that 5% is actually an infinite loss because the the soldier has has only one life. So it's an infinite loss to that individual soldier. So that 5% risk is, is significant to the individual. And so I think the individual Um, would be more likely to kind of um, to pay for a service that can even further kind of mitigate their individual risk compared to kind of a large, uh, a larger organization that is managing um, total risk.
0: Yeah. I I, I get the feeling there are too many administrators and, Bureaucrats in the in the in between of the physicians and the patients and the patients well being.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think this is just the the system, the the fiat system that we're in. And this is just all compounded, slowly compounded over time to where you have this this large wedge uh, in between patients and uh, direct physician care and and direct physician uh, management.
0: What I've always found kind of um, bizarre about uh, hospitals, um, and please don't take this the wrong way, uh, but, uh, you know, we we have spent time in hospitals, especially after, you know, the birth of our kids. Um, The, like the level of, um, it's not, it's almost the worst place to recover like uh the 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 quality of food and the quality of rest are pretty low uh what are you what are you what are your thoughts on that uh,
2: that's my that was my my uh my favorite joke um when i when patients would um complain about rest i i would, promptly inform them that um, sleeping was against hospital policy and <laughs> that that just, uh, you know, that would stop any further complaints because they, they'd at least get a smile out of that or you know, a, a second look. but I also, you know, I, I didn't think that patients were supposed to be in the hospital for recovery. So soon as, you know you were you recovered at home soon as you were able to to go home i was sending you home and that meant that if there was no other service that i was providing to you or that you needed in the hospital so there there was no kind of um convo- or you know continued convalescing in the hospital um when i was managing
0: human and the food
2: yeah, I mean that's just terrible. But now we have Uber, you know, Uber Eats and you got Uber so Eats you can,
0: can just you, it, uh, you can have that delivered bedside nowadays.
2: And sometimes but I mean there were plenty of times that I would go into to patients rooms like after heart attacks. They after a heart attack mm. you would see McDonald's because oh their spouse God. would bring it into them. I t- I mean it, it was it wasn't even a novel joke anymore, just, mm-hmm. just having it in there. And so, I mean, that was it. like, I would tell patients, like, don't, don't change your diets. I'm not, I don't care what you eat. I can adjust the medication around your lifestyle uh, because it's, it's too difficult to to try to have them, especially for what I did uh, was being such a sub uh, or acute care. That you couldn't make any. There was no progress to be made in trying to adjust someone's behaviors. So it was just far easier to adjust. Uh, you know, turn a dial with a medication um, or add a medication to, to optimize that person's health.
0: How much better would the uh, like the landscape look within the health system, within hospital system? if people had correct nutrition information available to them, like, you know, the, the, the whole idea of this food pyramid being turned upside down. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I mean, I don't, I think that individuals will take the least encumbered path and right now the least encumbered path is i mean fast food is is poor is poor nutrition so you know uh the health pyramid i mean i i would be willing to wager that you could put that in front of anybody and 90 percent would not know which level contains what so i don't i don't think that's um Necessarily that important. I think that being able to deliver healthy meals or, you know, being able that, that people can access um, some type of a, a good diet, it'd be just far easier to do it that way. Just something easy for them to access and then something that's streamlined and, you know, low cost. And, you know, I think that goes back to, um, you know, they're, they're having to choose low cost because they don't have any purchasing power because the overall, you know, in, in the US, you know, the, the vast majority of middle class have been pushed out and we're in inflation and Bitcoin fixes this.
0: So it really does. It truly does. All right. So let's get down to, you know, what happened back end of 2019, probably the start of 2020 uh, for you guys over in the US, you'd have been... What eight or nine years into your career at this point?
2: Yeah, I I I think so. Uh, That's probably right. Uh, And then all
0: of a sudden, residency. Then all of a sudden, we have the uh, the news of uh, of COVID nineteen, and we have the uh, for for you guys, you you would have seen all of the the Chinese news coming out, and then uh, Europe getting hit, Uh and then you know it's on your doorstep what was going on in the walls of the hospital beforehand and then you know like you know when you were when you were first seeing this thing was it was it kind of yeah whatever or uh, we got to be ready what what was the kind of state of affairs
2: well initially um i remember getting i mean we all watched the videos of the people passing out and I remember talking to the, the doc that sat next to me in our, our office and I'm like, Hey, are you watching this? And he's like, yeah. And he agreed. Didn't know necessarily what to, what to think of it, but it was, you know, a lot of unknown and uncertainty didn't know at the time what, what was coming. You know, I could, I mean, there, there's such a, a wide range of what it could be and how serious you know, that necessarily, you know, it could be or could be a a big nothing burger. I mean, it was just complete unknown. And I had had um, a biotech fund uh, a few years before. And so I had really um, like being able to, to review the data that was coming out and kind of helping to delineate, you know, what was kind of signal and what was just noise um, helped out in in the initial beginning. But yeah, I mean, we, we were having weekly meetings um, starting, I believe in February, February, March, about how we were going to handle the surge because we were where I practiced was a referral center. And so we were expected to, you know, cut the the place where i practice has probably four hundred thousand that it, the direct um that it treats but then you know we were thinking where you was know, this maybe,
0: geographically
2: uh, southern indiana okay so you know but there's you know multiple states that that sit around that we could be being filtered to or you know being filtered to us so You know, we just didn't know and we didn't know how much resources that that we had or we were going to need um so i mean we all made the jokes with uh, the brown paper bag and how you know that just kept everyone safe and um but you just kind of did what you you had to do when when things were coming um our way
0: what did happen
2: well a big nothing burger at first i mean we didn't have hardly any patients, they would trickle in here and there, but this was during kind of that initial lockdowns. And so the the ICUs weren't full, but after a after a couple of months, I mean the our ICU beds were full, our hospital beds were full. and so I mean there was there was shortages. Um, but I mean, we knew, in may who the at risk groups were and i mean that hasn't changed it's your your uh, advanced age um obesity and super morbid i mean morbid obesity and then those with uh, some type of lung pathology so if you'd had a you know a history of you know significant copd chf and then obviously with diabetes hypertension but you know, it was, it was a lot of times it was people that, you know, didn't go get care early. Like they would let something linger for, you know, one to two weeks. And then they would go, they'd come into the hospital and their oxygen saturation would be in the, the 70s. And, you know, then you'd be putting them on a ventilator in two days. So like that. That was a very common
0: um, common theme. what was what what was what were you seeing in the in the mainstream media or from other colleagues in the field to what was going on in your actual building? Was that making sense at the time? I couldn't believe
2: that they were shutting everything down. Um, I thought that the and this was given the, the history with with biotech given the 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 MBA and just the looking at the situation from a whole i thought the the overall cure was gonna the, the cure was was would cost more than the disease and that you know by shutting things down and this is you know what we see in, in medicine. So, when the body shuts down, so if someone has a cardiac arrest, their heart stops, they're not, blood flow isn't being pumped throughout the body. And you know, we have techniques um, and procedures to be able to, to um, have a resumption of, of circulation, but you don't see damage. Until two three days out, so even though you bring someone back and they can be talking to you, you know there could they could be going. You're you're not going to know the the kidney failure, the liver failure um, until two three days out, maybe a week, maybe five days out. And you know you it's the same thing. I think that any complex system and and that's what's just what the body is the body is 11 systems that are integrated and with an economy you have enormous systems that are integrated and you you shut it down you're not going to see the the backups for a significant amount of time and so i was expecting when when like we're shutting things down okay we're not going to see something for you know 18 months from now you know something play out um but whenever I would say that in the the physician's lounge, yeah, I would be looked at like, you know, you're, you're crazy. Like that's, that's not um, that's not really accurate or, you know, we have to do these things now.
0: um, But. And then there's, I mean, I don't know how much of a dark road this is to go down, but there's been reports that, uh, some hospitals were, you know, just, just to keep themselves alive and profitable, uh, that there were, there were subsidies, uh, um, offered to hospitals to put people on ventilators. It, it was that, is that true? Do you know?
2: No, I don't. There, are, I mean, we, I mean, I actively, you know, co-managed those patients and I don't, um, I don't recall that that occurring now you had what were called utilization, utilization managers. And those were people that were trying to, to help with coding. Um, you know, it was always, you know, uh, a sticking point if someone had COVID to make sure that they were being diagnosed with COVID or, or COVID was attributable to their death. Um, but I think, I mean, I think that's what a lot of the what a EMR the electronic medical record is, is doesn't really have much to do with providing care as it is for facilitating billing.
0: Yeah man there's so much here there's like um trying to sift through what's been going on uh, you know the the truths from the mistruths the information from the misinformation it's so difficult, especially for people that are sitting on the outside of things. Uh, it must be especially difficult for, for you guys that are sitting on the inside of things where you are seeing uh, you know, patients come in, uh, like you said, that have these um, comorbidities and are of this high risk. Uh, but at the, the same time, we, we're being pushed the narrative through our TV sets that everyone's at risk and we're all going to die and we've all got to put masks on and we've all got to stay home and then you know that morphs into now you've all got to start taking uh you know vaccines
2: yeah no i mean this this goes I, in end of february beginning of march i started to wear a mask around the hospital and Somewhat, I rem- someone chased me down from infection control to let me know, or to, for me to take my mask off. And that is not the, the hospital's recommendation to wear masks. There, that's, that's not a point. I, uh, so 2020? Yeah, this was in 2020. Huh. Okay. So I, th- and this was when we didn't know when you know didn't know what was coming or the the extent of it and so I was like well you know you're behind the a ball I'm Dr. Kirkwood and I'm going to do what I'm going to do and you know just went about the business but that's I, I think that's a it was a very point in time that you know the individual has to make decisions and you know let you know, I, I'll be the, the person that decides what my decisions are. I'm, I'm not going to allow anybody else to make the decisions. And I'll I'll try to make as best a decision I can with the information that I have at that point in time. And that's that's what I had, had always done throughout my practicing, when, whether with any patient, it didn't matter, you know, who you were, it didn't matter how old you were. I, I tried to make the best decision at that point in time with that information that I had for the individual patient. And, you know, if you allow others to think for you, then you just become dependent on, on that. And I think the the vast majority of the world has chosen that easy path of, of outsourcing, outsourcing their thinking for them.
0: Yeah. At what point did it all start kind of, um, changing for you what, what what was kind of the arc as uh as this was playing out because it's been two years now so we've had the uh, initial fear spell the initial worry um there was nothing on your doorstep to begin with then they start trickling in mm-hmm. at what point did you know like it either peak or a red flag was raised for you with the narrative do you remember was there anything in particular
2: yeah I mean I was I was over this in May of 2020 I was like we should you know allow this to just you know burn through and not um, allow this to 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 slowly um, propagate through society and that was my uh, initial initial thoughts, and I still think that's what we should have done um, uh, to this day. But you know, when when I reviewed the 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 study when Pfizer released their information for the first vaccine, and you know, it wasn't it it didn't really decrease or, or decrease the amount of well, one, they didn't test for COVID, they just tested for symptoms, but it really didn't decrease the the hospitalizations or symptoms. I was like, oh, well, this really wasn't what I was expecting it to be. But then when, you know, they made these, I, I wasn't expecting the, the early um, EUA um, decisions that they made. And then when I review because you can review the the discussions that you know there really wasn't discussions um i was like this is absurd this is just the the politicization of of it
0: right so when it became political that was just like same for me i, I think it was just like once it, it was clear that this was being politicized and there was huge amounts of money at stake i didn't want any part of the narrative anymore it was like no this is that there's something else going on here and that the, the the ridiculous amounts of collusion around the world like it was like i don't like nothing i could make no sense of anything
2: i don't necessarily know if like it was collusion or more just you know congruent malincentives that you know you, that individuals were just making decisions and they were all making similar decisions because of the, the easy path that, you know, was being laid out um, because of all the prior things that have like been built up over the last hundred years.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's Fiat. It's, you know, the technological advances that we've made and that we're still working through how humanity interacts with those technological inv- advancements. I mean, in, in medicine, um, you know, typically any new um, treatment or modality, it, it takes, you know, a generation to, to accept and that's because the the old guard doesn't accept something new the new guard you know accepts it and so there's just this slow progression of um you know accepting advancements but you know we're we're in this age where you know you have the ability to order a meal and have it delivered to you from you know within 20 minutes i mean uh, even that's a hard, you know, advancement. To, you know, how do you actually interact with, and what's a, what's an appropriate, healthy way to interact with? All
0: right, I got to ask, I got to ask the, the the elephant in the room question uh, about about vaccines and um, the, like you said, that you you saw the first one come around, that it wasn't uh, as efficient as you you were expecting, and then number two comes around, and then number three comes around, uh, and. For me, being a noob uh to this whole thing, you know, I've taken vaccines in my life, of course, I have like I think many people mm-hmm. listening to this podcast probably have <laughs> you know it has to work, it has to immunize you, but here we are, three deep, and omicron has just gone burning through everybody as if nobody's been injected with anything you know prior to this it's the the common the common thread is. But it it lowers your symptoms, or it's, uh, you know, it, it gives you less uh, of a, um, a reaction, which to me is from if I build on from first principles of what is a vaccine. A vaccine should immunise you. That there shouldn't be a number two, and there shouldn't be a number three. And if it does come, it shouldn't be a less symptoms effect. It should be. No, you're immunized. Uh, is that kind of like a real layman's way of looking at it?
2: Um, well, let's let's take this back. So, the coronavirus is an RNA virus, and it can easily um, it easily replicates, and that during replication. It, you know, you can have mutations and then those mutations, um, are what, you know, why we went from the, the original strain to alpha, beta, delta, omicron, like, so that was going to happen no matter what.
0: Um, that that's kind of what viruses do, right?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Most of, most of the part there, are some viruses that will have a state, like a stable protein that you can specifically isolate and that, that pro- that up protein or uh, epitope is, is stable, and you can you can target it. And so that's why some vaccines you can we can eradicate, completely eradicate, and, and other other viruses um, that we can't and we will never be able to eradicate. So that's so that's point number one. Point number two is I mean, COVID is definitely. The original COVID nineteen and Delta, those were those are real. There are people who got sick and died that had we not had COVID nineteen, they wouldn't have died. There there would have been no reason um, that you would have anticipated that they would have died from a health health standpoint and. You know, some of these people were—they were in their fifties, so they were young in their in their fifties, sixties. Um, now they may have had other comorbidities that caused them to be more susceptible to 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 having an adverse reaction from, from COVID nineteen and deteriorating and passing. Um. So, for one. Covid's going to mutate. That's going to happen no matter whether we have vaccines Two, COVID is real and people died. So in medicine, we deal with reducing fraction or reducing just percentage points in risk. So one example that we use is uh, atrial fibrillation. So if, if someone has atrial fibrillation and that's where the the heart doesn't just say beat appropriately. If you don't do anything, you can, you'll have a 5% chance of having a stroke a year. So we, if, if you flip that around the other way, 95% chance of, you know, not, uh, of not having a stroke a year just by having a fib. To normal, to, to somebody, normally they'll like, oh, I'll take that bet, you know, day in, day out. But in, in medicine, you know, we'll say, okay, well, if we, if you put you on a, on a, on a baby aspirin, then we can reduce you to 3% risk. So that's a, a, a relative risk reduction of 40%. And then um let's say someone needs to to go on you know uh, an anticoagulant so warfarin or some of the direct thrombin inhibitors you know that can lower your your overall risk of having a stroke to 2% so going from 3% to 2% is a is a 30% relative risk reduction which is huge or going from 5% to 2% you know is a sixty percent relative risk reduction. So, I mean, those are those are pretty significant. Um, and and this, I think, goes back to the the general soldier dilemma, where an individual a five percent chance of having a stroke, which can be fatal, or you know potentially worse than being fatal, is you know being uh, immobilized or you know uh, you know completely or paralyzed from having a stroke, that's, that's absolutely, I mean, that's life ruining, like you're, you're never going to have the chance to run and play or run and interact with society again. So those are those small percentage points that, you know, we're going after can really improve overall quality of life. And so if you take that same kind of mindset and you take it to the vaccines, then Yes, for for people that have you know five years, ten years, or twenty, like you're you're at the at the end stage, you're looking at and that can really decrease their risk of dying. So if we if we look at uh, time and you know someone in their twenties has well you know was that the they're a they're a billion second they, they have a billion seconds and so each second. The, the overall value divided by a billion is a lot less than if you have five years and that same value of time is more. So, you know, I think the vaccines probably did a good job in the pop the, the really at-risk populations. Um, now, do we know all of the, um, the adverse events that occurred from vaccines. I mean, we, we don't know those, we, we can see that the, those things are being reported, but I mean, they were like the, the general practitioner of medicine is not, um, is not the, not the person that's supposed to be reporting adverse events from vaccines. Like those, that's why clinical trial. And that's why the like in clinical trials, you make a, like whoever is instituting the clinical trial makes a ton of money. Um, and it's because of the the parameters that those trials are are in. So I think over time we're going to find out exactly, you know, how much risk there is in the vaccines. Um, but given that we don't know that, we can I mean I can say that, that the people that did have the vaccines, you know, there probably were lives saved.
0: Yeah, the, 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 the red flags for me for the whole thing were the amount of like marketing that went into these things, uh, the mandating in some countries, you know, being a Bitcoiner like yourself, It's all about individual choice. You cannot mandate a medical procedure over someone. This is just complete nonsense because you have not is completely individual, not not down to their choice, but down to their, uh, you know, the the makeup of their body. Like there there is you're going to harm people if you blanket mandate a even aspirin, right? (laughs) Am I crazy?
2: No, I mean, look, I mean, everyone needs water, but too much of it and you can drown. Right. So um, agreed. And this goes back to the the incentives um, of the system and how the system is set up. I wrote a I wrote a paper um, some years ago about drug companies, drug development, and what they do uh, to maintain, uh, their exclusivity. So you can have a patent for a drug, but typically the patents aren't long enough um, because it takes a considerable amount of time for to develop the drug. And so then the the government, the FDA provides exclusivity um, for an additional amount of time so that a company can market the drug. And, I mean, there are, I mean, just direct, I mean, they're a business and their business is to sell their drug and there are direct attempts to, you know, how they market that drug uh, to maintain or to increase, you know, sales. I mean, that's the, that's their incentive. And, and so that's what they do to, to carry that out. But what is being marketed is, is kind of fuzzy uh, compared to, you know, what is, Um, kind of done on the back end or what's provided or what, or, you know, what the physicians have the ability or the time to, to go in and and do the evaluation of, of the drug itself and comparable analysis to, to other, other drugs. You're just told, you know, you're informed, you know, this drug is, is the best that we have, even though it only slightly improves off of, you know, prior ones that are on, you know, a generic, a generic list.
0: Yeah, it's, um, and again, I, I, I don't know that you've had the same problem in the States, correct me if I'm wrong, but over here in Europe, we're seeing each week now, either a player on the field of a, of a football game, or somebody in the stadium, uh, you know, and you look at the demographic, like the, de- the demographic is, you know, 10 to 70 year old men, there's a game stopped each week now uh because there's been a cardiac arrest in the stadium or there's been you know a player has, has collapsed on the field of play. It it blows my mind that there's not more being said. Red flags aren't being raised. They're still marketing the uh the product heavily just today my brother received a, a letter to, to tell him you got to come in to get your um, your third shot from the from the NHS. So they're actively pushing this. I mean, this is it's like a well-funded marketing slick corporate operation. Mm-hmm. And then when I think about the amount of money that's being made behind the scenes here by the big companies, by the Pfizer's, Moderna's, uh, AstraZeneca's, uh, Johnson Johnson, you name them, it's classic loss leading mba style corporate sales at the detriment of you know some of the people that are you know they're even kids mate like <laughs> kids but i mean
2: this is a there this is a multifactorial dynamic situation where you have all of the players with kind of, it's not corrupted incentives, but the incentives are, are not optimal where we, we've talked about the drug companies where they want to sell and, mm-hmm. you know, that's their incentive. You know, you have hospitals, healthcare organizations that, you know, operate on a one to 2% profit margin. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, you know, barely uh, you know barely profitable and the government you know it's, is able to start handing you large uh, you know reimbursements to to do x y and z you know to to maintain you know a vaccination level of of x then you know you get you know a large chunk of capital or you know you're 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 allowed, um, you know, higher reimbursement rates. Um, you have, you know, over time. I mean, with, with the current physicians, you know, there's a significant amount of student loan debt that these physicians have, and that's why they're employed. And so, you know, now you can, you know, what weighs on on your decision when you know you have a, a family and you're the main provider for that family. Are, are you going to buck the system? When, when, you know, someone's telling you that, you know, you need to do, um, you know, you need to treat this way or you can't prescribe this or you have to do that. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that there's any one, you know, isolated piece that you can say, you know this is what's wrong like the whole whole part of this is just malincentives or inhibiting you know what should be you know the best decisions to occur
0: bitcoin fixes this
2: <laughs> yeah i i mean i do i i think that bitcoin is this great aligner of incentives, that, you know, I had a, I had a health scare uh, a few years ago, and, you know, the, at the time, the kind of the model that I, I had was, you know, I can't change the past, the future is too uncertain, so I'm just going to make good decisions today, and let that compound into a great outcome, like that, that was my, my mental model. And I think with Bitcoin, when people are able to make good decisions and being able to store those good decisions, in you know in, in the form of your, your your encrypted energy of Bitcoin, that you know over time you know they're going to reap significant benefits. And we can't change the past like that. It, with, the other piece that drives me crazy is I don't understand why people want to try to change the past because everything had to play out exactly the way it was for you to be at this moment where you are today but the future is there's too many too much variability there's too there's too many you know possibilities you can't comprehend you know what may or may not be but you can just focus on making good decisions and when we have the entire population you know, focusing on on good decisions and being able to store those good decisions. Like I think it's it's unbelievable where where we're going to be in the next 50 years or a hundred years, let alone, you know, if you you know thinking about the people that go out a thousand years. I mean, that's like this is a real fundamental change for humanity to to progress to you know the the next you know no, it's not really evolution but the, the next step function uh, i think in the the coordination of communication and value for our species
0: 100 percent agreed <laughs> totally agreed and i i'm interested now to know like you you must have reached the point did you did you leave your 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 fiat role or did you escape you know what? What was what was the 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 kind of mindset at that point?
2: Yeah, um, it was. You know, there was a force function that I had to to go. I mean, I was I was fortunate enough that I mean, I was only actually practicing one week a month, so seven days on, twenty one days off. And I've been—I was able, very fortunate enough to be able to do that for um, quite a few years, and that allowed me to to really focus, you know, a lot of my time on learning about Bitcoin. And, I mean, I try to to explain or make the comparison that. Learning about Bitcoin, I'm spending just as much time as I did in medical school trying to learn about, about medicine. And I mean, that's all you did in for four years, actually seven years with medical school and residency was just read, learn, and work at it. And it's kind of been that same way in 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 Bitcoin. Very fortunate that people like yourself do podcasts and you're able to consume. Content, you know, like significant amount of content from the best thought leaders in the space, you know, that have had the opportunity to to refine their ideas and their approaches to deliver, you know, great content. So I I had the time to be able to to do that, and very fortunate um, that my cousin, uh, which is my partner, my business partner. Um, we were also talking about bitcoin a lot and then finding you know investments for us to to invest in personally and then just really following our passion um, to where we are are today
0: and it was this this is 1031 was this the birth of 1031 is it is today like what yeah what, that's, how did that
2: yeah that, that the birth of 1031 was really um that we came across um, Unchained Capital and just enamored with that idea that you know we were we were able to you know, willingly throw them our money and be, just take it, please take it.
0: <laughs> um, to well, they, they were the first investment.
2: Yeah. The yes, they they were the the first for personally um, Uh for us, and so you know that that idea of just being able um, to to try to help push Bitcoin forward because you know we're we're not coders, we're not developers, but we have other skills that that we can we can bring um, to do our part to, you know, to see, um, to try to, try, try to build the, the future that, that we envision for ourselves.
0: I, I gotta tell you right now that the, the plebs are probably screaming, like, why didn't you just buy sats? Like why invest in a company when you just go along the asset?
2: That's a, that's a very good question. And, and how, how I approached that question at the time, because this was, I mean this was when Bitcoin was was sub10,000. And you know, that we, we tell we tell people to, to DCA, don't try to time the market, just just DCA and it'll be hard to beat that. So my thought, was the same with companies, that if a company was producing value that didn't exist before, then that, that value had a premium. And if the company operates on a Bitcoin standard, that their profits, their balance sheet is going to probably be denominated in Bitcoin. And so the value that they produced on a on a daily basis allows that company to, to stack to stack SATS to, to DCA in. And if a company is producing value to the market, then cost more that company will attract more customers, which increases cash flow. So a company that is building on a Bitcoin standard has two ways for continuing to accrue value. You have the balance sheet appreciation, and then you have cash flow, or what my partner is is Sats flow uh, appreciation. And so with with those two two mechanisms, I think companies will will be able to to out-compete just buying more Bitcoin, just buying the Bitcoin at the start, because if you think of a, a profit margin as a discount, then they're, the company is able to acquire Bitcoin below spot, just like a miner is able to change energy and capital in the form of miners into Bitcoin from the distribution of Bitcoins. the same thing for a company. And I don't think that there's going to be any better time to have started investing in Bitcoin companies than in 2020, 2021, and now, because you had effectively two clearing mechanisms in the market. You had the bear market of 2018, 2019, and then you had COVID come in 2020, and so with two clearing mechanisms back to back effectively capital and customers were scarce and any company that was surviving or kind of born in that time you know they had to uh, have something that was producing value otherwise you couldn't attract a customer no one is going to part with their fiat or their Bitcoin during w- when times are tough and forcing those companies to operate, you know, with value, but also forcing them to operate lean. So they've weathered, you know, pretty significant storms. So I think that that's where I think that the, the company, so you have kind of a, a multiple attributes that companies have that really make them very attractive for you know creating these these positive stats flow businesses moving forward
0: put it another way you have outsourced and leveraged your DCA
2: yeah we we that's a, that's a that's a great point the the outsource we we do think of it as a kind of a leverage play but an outsourcing the DCA as, um, is a very good, um, a very good point.
0: You know, shareholders of MicroStrategy, for example, you're outsourcing uh, the DCA buyers of Michael Saylor that you are never, ever going to be able to ever, ever, ever achieve, right? So, so instead you buy the stock. Uh, you're saying instead you just buy the you buy the companies and, and you find the the Bitcoin only companies that are doing great work Unchained capital uh, a perfect example. Uh, are you allowed to tell us the uh, the portfolio or not?
2: Um, we have a, a emblem list on our on our website of, of companies that we've partnered with.
0: So and now I mean, you've they're... got uh, you, you, and you've got, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you have Parker sitting uh, sitting alongside you guys, Matt Odell, and Marty Bent.
2: Yeah, and and Michael Tanguma. So, you know, there's that that initial thread that I pulled on on, on why we did it is, you know, just echoing in a lot of and pretty well most other other Bitcoiners that, you know, we come in you come in contact, there's there's this common thread that I think is, is woven um, through all of us. And, we, you know, we've been able to really build up, you know, really good friendships. And you can build a really good friendship in Bitcoin very quickly, because you have this foundation that, you know, you, you may have different life experiences, but there's this common foundation where, you know, when, when you come together, like you just know you are my friend and I am your friend and, and we move forward. And that's very similar to, to what happened with Marty and Matt. I mean, we were, we were freaks just yeah. uh, listening to their podcast, uh, just enjoying, you know, never had the, the thought um, of being able to partner with him or you know or when I had read the, the gradually then suddenly series thinking that you know I would ever one get to meet Parker two let alone be um, have him on as an advisor uh, so like this is absolutely living a, a dream um, for us being able to you know participate in in the way we're able to participate in kind of in so many companies um, because we've partnered with around 20 companies to date that you know being able to to see you know what's happening and being a part of that and bringing on you know rlps or you know our partners to to be able to to uh, to experience it at the same time, um, I think is, is is just very fulfilling um, with the use of my time.
0: There's going to be more to come, right? The, the, right now, from I've just jotted down what I know off the top of my head. There's you guys, there's Bitcoin Adventures, which is uh, you know Corey and um, Stefan and uh, some more of the, uh, the the guys over at Swan, um, Stephen Cole. Doing, uh, doing his thing. Uh, the Dan Tapiero from uh, you know, the more kind of mainstream financial world that set up his fund. Are you seeing more of this come your way? That, that it's more focused on Bitcoin, not not the, the shitty uh, A16Z kind of moronic bullshit that we, we all want to completely ignore.
2: Yeah, there's, you know, it's still hard to believe that investing, well, that Bitcoin is con- a contrarian play
1: and yeah,
2: right. investing <laughs> in Bitcoin yeah. companies is your your rat poison squared contrarian play. <laughs> so, I mean, there there's not a, a large pool of, of players, which I mean, if I've all you know, if you if you ever start a business or go into business, you want to go where no one else is and you know provide that service. So that's a very beneficial, but I mean we have we have a great relationship with 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 those those people that you, you've talked with. Um I mean, I think Bitcoin or Ventures was a great is a great syndicate that you know is is providing really the opportunity for for individuals to be able to participate, to, you know, amalgamate their, you know, a, a capital to, to invest in companies. Um, we invest, Swan was another personal one that we did that, you know, very excited about I've been a Swan user for several years, a couple of years now. Um, Stephen Cole is just everywhere. That guy's, that guy's awesome. <laughs> We, we we joke that you know Stephen's already invested in something sometimes when but when we first take a look at it, so really really uh, have a good friendship with Stephen. I I like that guy. Um, so and then what 10T is doing with kind of the, the growth capital, um, they're they're kind of operating in, in multiple spaces, but they are going to be providing growth capital for Bitcoin companies, which is absolutely needed. I mean. We we only have a, a couple of companies that are really in that Series A Series B round, um, so like the, that growth capital is going to be needed, and and we look to to help where we can.
0: Um, can you help the plebs you know, out that are listening and and kind of kind of wondering about some of the terminology, like what do you mean by growth capital, seed A? seed B, series A, series B, uh, you know, just because we have a varied listenership and yeah. some of the terminology between like uh, the Europlebs and uh, America, so just walk us through it. So, you know, what's growth capital, for example?
2: So growth capital is typically after um, kind of a series A, you're looking at series B to see to where a company may be raising a hundred million dollars and you need um, 20 to 50 million coming from you know, one entity in itself that takes up half the round. Um, so let's, let's start at the beginning. So pre-seed, so when, when someone comes up with an idea and they wanna bring on capital, they'll bring on, um, typically in the US, they're the SAFE, the Simple Agreement for Future Equity, and that'll be what's called pre-seed money. So capital before a priced round, and then after they gain some traction and then more investors are are willing to come on, they'll do a priced round and that'll be your seed round is is typically the, the first priced round and they'll raise 5 million plus or minus a couple. And then after the seed, you go to your series A, and that's where your your larger your kind of venture capital arms will start coming in and, and start riding, you know, north of a million to several million and into that round, because they're typically going to be raising probably 10 to 10 to 20 million. And then is, and- is there any way
0: to, to kind of like uh, price the company at this stage? I mean, certainly at the seed round is just it, like literally a gamble, right? Stick a finger in the air. There's no metrics. You cannot put a, a value on on the company or its future earnings or prospects at all. It's just an idea at that point. But the founder needs a little bit of cash to get going.
2: Yeah, I think that there's there's more. There's a little bit more to it um, that I think you can isolate down into what is called multi-attribute decision making, where. You know, you can highlight six or seven points that go into making a good decision, and where how those points are weighted uh, is dependent on what market or what decision you're trying to make. But where where that company is sitting, you can kind of triangulate you know, what's the appropriate valuation? Kind of, these are all fuzzy numbers, um, but trying to triangulate where where that company should sit based on, you know, the founder's history, their experience, the team that they have, how many, you know, prospective users or how many users that they do have. So there, there's ways. And what's, you know, I think is different or what we're definitely seeing different in the Bitcoin um, realm is that Bitcoiners typically build a product or they have a a minimal viable product before they start raising capital or they have some type of experience. Whereas when we talk to founders that are coming from crypto land, like they're just raising 20 million on an idea. And that's just not the... um, the world that we're living in with the, the kind of the double contrarian play. So, which I I think is a a pretty, it's pretty good for us right now in that, you know, there, there isn't a lot of, of players chasing, chasing these deals, which is, is good and bad, I guess, um, depending on which, uh, which side of the field you're looking at.
0: Good for me. Because you're attracting the right investors, that's key. Because you don't want to you don't want to attract the the exit guys who are just going to come in and jump all over your idea and push it where they want it to go so they can get their exit and you know the seed round one two three four or five.
2: Exactly, and that's what we at the very beginning. What we were seeing is that as much as we were interviewing the companies. The, the companies were interviewing us to determine if, if they wanted us on their cap table mm-hmm. and i mean i that was very interesting and, and just power of
0: bitcoin it <laughs> it flips the game board
2: it it does and you know that because with bitcoiners you know it's just you have time preference you you're you're able to be low time preference and i mean that's actually what we we named our funds uh low time preference
0: (laughs) love it And, and there's also something else at play uh you know if a founder comes to you they've built the product they've got the mvp going they've got x amount of users their churn rate is probably zero Because these people that are using their service, and Swan's a great example, you feel as though, as a Swan user, you probably feel as though you're you're friends with all of the other Swan users uh, and the founders and the people that they bring in, whether it's Stefan or, or, uh, or Andy or Brady or whoever else, there's going to be no churn.
2: There is a sense of camaraderie within a company and, you know, companies that are not just this one, but other companies that are operating, especially open source companies, you know, their brand is the moat. And when you have people, you know, buying into the brand because of what it stands for, like there's, there's another connection on top of Bitcoin that, you know, People just enjoy and can enjoy enjoy each other in each other's company because they 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 have this common belief and the future that they want to see and they believe that you know this company helps to facilitate that. I mean, it's that's pretty exciting um, that you know, and in a world of you know lockdowns, you know. When you go to these Bitcoin meetups here in the in the U.S., I mean they're so exciting to be at, and you know interacting with these large, diverse you know groups of, of individuals with you know their different life experiences or, or backgrounds, or even with our LPs, you know, being able to to see their 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 yearning for wanting some type of participation and. In, in, and, and part in, in the excitement is, is just palpable.
0: I was going to ask you about that. Generating a lead list. Like, how are you doing that? Where are you <laughs> finding these companies?
2: I mean, we, um, we make a, a pretty significant push on, you know, a, a good presence everywhere. Um, we think we've you know, partnered with, um, I mean, I I, two very, or all all of them, very good, um, individuals that, you know, had their own brands. And we were very fortunate enough that, you know, we were, um, we were able to initially call them friends and then, you know, have them and where we talk on, you know, if not a daily basis and every other day basis, um, so i think with the, the best way to sum it up is we made good decisions and in operating in an open system such as bitcoin that you know if you truly are who you say you are you're going to get you know further recommendations to go go here or go there or or intros, because people just want to see this succeed. And, you know, we've tried to align ourselves as closely to an open system that, that Bitcoin is, the, the permissionless, you know, open system it is. And we, we operate that within the companies themselves where we try to create an open system for companies to interact with each other so that they can build. And then um, we've created uh, the 1031 Tribe, which we kind of, uh, we call it the the Anti-Fiat VC, where where we have virtual events and then live events where we bring our LPs um, in and they get to, they interact with us, they interact with the founders of companies that we bring in um, and then they can interact with themselves. So we think that, you know, creating an opportunity for our LPs to be able to interact with founders in bitcoin or other LPs or our team and create, you know, create ideas, let spontaneity occur will be a net positive for the space. And we want that same open permissionless system that that bitcoin is
0: would you mind just uh clearing up lps what that stands uh, for
2: uh limited partners
0: right perfect are you following um bitcoin or jobs on twitter that's a great a great lead generator to see which uh, which companies i know they're very closely tied to swan so you got some competition
2: <laughs> yeah no uh i remember when when Corey start, I think it was Corey that started or it was in one Mm -hmm. of the the chats, I think with that, I mean, it's such a great, I mean, I've referred uh, several um, people who um, have wanted to leave their fiat, you know, careers, whether I had one, one guy that I'd been talking to about Bitcoin for several years and he's a chiropractor and he sold his practice and he wanted to, to start and, in Bitcoin, and I was like, "Oh, here, look here." So I, I think it's going to be. I think that's great um, because it's that that same initial thread that we had is, you know, mirrored. I think in in our in our limited partners, and you know, just everyone that we interact is probably similar to to you and, and why you started a podcast about about Bitcoin.
0: Precisely. So I, what I, I think probably what the listeners are probably gonna to wanna to know now is, okay, so a new company comes along, you see great potential there, you wanna help them, uh, you wanna go into the, the, the seed rounds, you, you enjoy the company of the, um, the founder, you see their vision, where does that money come from? Can other people back it with you? and is there a, a minimum amount that they have to uh, you know put in? Yeah,
2: so there's we have two ways uh, right now that we're doing that. One is we have um, our fund two that we have up and going, and we are bringing on uh, partners or limited partners for that entity. Um, and that's our, our main fund that we're going to be deploying capital out of. And then for opportunities that we hope to, or that we are carving out um, from deals that the fund does that, you know, sometimes it's uh, appropriate or, or best to, to also have a syndicate. The We have the 1031 syndicate where individuals can, join through Angelist and they can do as minimum as thousand um, dollars on Angelist into a specific uh, deal that the the fund is doing. And I mean our goal is, first to, to put, help push Bitcoin forward and then to, to also bring along as many individuals as possible because, that will only compound over time. Um, the, the, the people able to participate in, in being a part of Bitcoin. And I think once they're, once people, you know, have skin in the game, you know, it's more real to them. And, you know, even, you know, being able to put in a thousand dollars is real, is, is real money. So I, we're, we're very excited about about both both avenues that we have to be able to, to offer to companies to to help to, to capitalize them.
0: Are you US only or are you casting your eye across the pond for any of the oh, clubs we... that are building here?
2: Yeah, no, we have. Um, I mean, if you look, uh, so there's multiple foreign companies, um, some in, in France in Marshall Islands, in Africa. So, I mean, there, there are companies that are, are specifically, you know, maybe lo- um, focusing on a specific region in Latin America with the lightning service providers, but, you know, the, we're, you know, agnostic to where a company is, is located. They can be anywhere. I mean, we're having a, a a podcast or on your, on your podcast, that's, you know, 1500 miles or how many miles away?
0: (laughs) We're a (laughs) pub. Yeah.
2: So I I don't, I don't necessarily think that a company has to be in one geographical location. Now, I think on, if you're going to be doing direct mining, there there's definitely places that you want to be and you don't want to be, but if you're know we just want to back great bitcoiners building great products to help you know bring the 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 orange future that that we want to see that's that's it
0: and what's the what do you think excites you most about the next two to five years with what you've seen coming up down the pike in the bitcoin space
2: The utility, the utility of, of Bitcoin, the the asset, and Bitcoin, the monetary network. That you know, you can create you have a company that you no longer have to worry about having a global presence because you automatically have a global presence. And you can create utility in ways that this, well, we anticipate Bitcoin being the world reserve asset in in ways that, you know, can't happen today such that, you know, you can, you know, you can create a, a new um, accounting method or um, being able for, for invoicing or for, you know, proof of, um proof of account, like those are interesting. You have the ability for you know building a, a P2P um intranet that you know impervious is doing and being able to you know immediately monetize that with Sats um over the lightning network. And or I mean, with Unchained. I mean, Unchained's caravan, which is the, their open source uh, piece. I mean, is is a is a global product. I mean, those are those are all exciting things that can't exist with the current financial monetary system that we have today. Like they're they're just completely incompatible. So, I mean, the. What is the what excites me is is the utility because it's the utility that is, is going to drive more value to the underlying asset. I mean, we're not going to get Bitcoin to ten tri- to a hundred trillion with just the store of value narrative. There has to be value being created, you know with creating the utility of the asset or the the network to create the demand to drive to drive the price to drive up the price
0: yeah mate it's um exciting times ahead uh i don't need to tell you that uh you're, you're very much uh, entrenched in it you've um You've extricated yourself from 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 your fiat career to to throw everything into uh, to this Bitcoin realm, and um, yeah, it's just great to it's it's been an incredible conversation. I, I really appreciate you giving up two hours. I've just seen the time of um of your of your time today to come on and talk about this. But I've got to hit you with a last question. Uh, I hope you come prepared. If you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to, and why?
2: so i have i i've have thought about this because you you have it on every every podcast um and i'm going to i'm going to say my family i think uh you know some of them they and i i, I believe they will over time but you know they don't necessarily know the the fundamental reasons why um I think that this is important and I think that that's a um I think you know having I think it was Cynthia Loomis put out a a great tweet the senator Cynthia Loomis put out a great tweet you know she came for NGU but stayed for you know liberty and you know you know, in, in some small way, you know, trying to, to help humanity and help future human the future, um, of humanity is, is, uh, is a good thing to endeavor at. And I would like my, the, just the you know, immediate family to know that it's, it's more than just making money.
0: sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you're still the crazy guy who gave up his perfectly good medical career to like uh, throw it all away on some crazy crypto money that nobody understands.
2: Oh, yes. No, my, my, uh, so my, my wife's in OBGYN. And this is uh, referred to as my hobby.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So, yeah, we'll get it there. We'll get it there. And uh yeah, to to um Senator Loomis's point, I I I should chill, Knut's von Home here because he made me think about this uh and I've memed it a few times. Uh came for number go up, stayed for number go down.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's so beautiful. It's like everything there is about Bitcoin right there.
2: yeah, I mean it's just Interesting, it's, it's it, you know, I don't know how we can envision what the future is is going to hold, but I just see that when we get everyone coordinated and working together in some small way, that there really isn't anything that we we won't be able to accomplish. You know, in the future, with, with that coordinated effort, I just that to me is, is something worth putting out as much effort as you can
0: to to migrate towards. What our species was like made for. This is what we do. <sighs> you know that
2: it, it it you go. I love it when when Marty goes all cosmic. Or when uh, you, but it's it's just crazy, like how this this happened, or or how Bitcoin came to be, like why why now why why is it happening? It's just like you can really you know bake on those ideas for for quite a while. And then how, how fortunate and how lucky we are to be this early to it, and and get to see in real time the the progression of Bitcoin permeating through our entire you know way of life, our, our entire way of life, the economic not just the economic systems, but the the change in, in mentality or the 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 way you individually think and then as a society in a whole how how that will think moving forward and uh, just you know I, I think we'll we'll be able to see it as it progresses but you're just wondering like how how long will that will that take for for us to make the make the transition
0: keeps surprising me every year how quick it's moving i think it's going to be a lot quicker than any of us imagine uh the uh, and if you look at the opposing force the well the opposing side whatever you want to call it the the opposite team you know team fiat they're doing their best to like uh you know snatch defeat from the jaws of victory if you like you know, like they they're, they're completely fucking it up it, it's amazing to see
2: yeah, I, you know, I mean, I think that the vast majority are just in this, you know, state of, you know, constant motion, and you don't have time to, to step back and, and raise your head up and look around and see what's happening, because you have to move so fast just to stay in place. Just to, to, to keep what you currently have. I mean, that's that's the way in, in medicine with, with physicians. And I and I I just think that's probably just pervasive everywhere where, you know, you, whether you're a politician, a lawyer, anywhere, or just you know, your your regularly, you know, day job of stocking shelves, like you have to work so hard and move so fast just to try to keep up with with what's happening that you you can't you know put it all together and the system is is so integrated now that how are you you supposed to know what you know small thing is happening along a supply chain and that what was, you know, is, is affecting you. It's like the 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 chaos theory, the, the butterfly flaps its wings and a tsunami happens across the world. I mean, that's how I mean we our lives are so integrated with so many other lives that you know you, you just it's poorly coordinated right now. But I think it's gonna the, the coordination is going to improve.
0: That's still- too. And decentralization is a, is a huge part of this and it's going to be the Bitcoin is that they're going to, um, drive this forward. Well, Jonathan, it's been awesome, Rip, mate. It's, uh, it's been great to get to know you. Uh, I look forward to having more discussions. I really do. Um, how can people come and, uh, and find you and learn more about yourself and, and 1031? where should we point them towards?
2: Uh, they can go to 1031.vc. Um, come there if you want to reach out Uh, there's a way at the bottom of the website um to to reach out to us directly or get connected to our Angelus syndicate either either way would be great um i enjoy i mean it's really awesome the being able to just discuss with kind of all walks of, of of life i mean bitcoiners come from everywhere Mm-hmm. And being able to to connect um, with them, and you know, share in this early secret that <laughs> nobody else is paying attention to, is, is is just special.
0: Excellent. And I'll have you put a handle in the uh, in the title of the show so people can come and find you on there as well.
2: Yeah, that's um, I'm at uh, Jay Kirkwood MD on on Twitter.
0: Excellent all right mate thank you so much and uh, look forward to uh, catching up soon all right thanks hey guys thank you for tuning in and thank you again jonathan for coming on and sharing your life experience and that that arc that you took us through over the last couple of years of your career in um in the hospitals fascinating stuff really and I, i'm just glad that to be honest that we've got you fully entrenched now in in a Bitcoin world because you know conviction like yours and minds like yours that we, we need as many of these as possible on our side and the fact that you are you know placing all of your time into helping the builders build is uh, is brilliant to see thank you again for coming on and everything you're doing Guys, if you want to reach out, um, make sure you reach out to Jonathan and Interact. Thank you everybody again. If you're streaming through one of the streaming apps such as Fountain or Breeze, really appreciate that. Make sure you hit the show sponsors. All links are in the show notes. Get to the conference if you can. Hit that link in the show notes or use and at checkout. That'll get you 10% off. Get yourself a hardware wallet. Stop it now. Just stop this show and go and order yourself a hardware wallet. Use the BitBox02 Bitcoin only edition. And then stack with Relay, Swan, Bitcoin Reserve, or Coin Corner. It's all so easy. Let's go catch on the next show.